0: Let's have about 30 seconds and we're going to go live. So let's, uh, let's get ready. And there we are. So we're, we're, we're live across various platforms. And today I am just so thrilled and excited to welcome um, Sarah Tritzaris, a co-founder of Puppy Gang Fresh Foods. And Sarah, I am terrible with names and company descriptions. So why don't I turn it over to you for just a few minutes and allow you to kind of introduce yourself personally, and, and, and your company uh, in the way that is, it exists today.
1: Yeah, thank you. I'm so excited. Um, I'm Sarah Tritsaris, and I'm the co-founder and co-president of Puppy Gang Fresh Foods. Uh, Marissa Hoskins and I founded Puppy Gang Fresh Foods because we had been through our own you know, previous experiences with dogs eating processed foods. And in particular, Marissa um, has two rescues, and uh, one is a mini schnauzer called Kalinda, and Kalinda came to Marissa at around six years old, and uh, was extremely overweight. She was a breeder dog at a puppy mill. She had a lot of health issues. The vet said she might not be able to walk in a few years, and uh, it was, you know, a bit of gloom. Um, but Marissa was adamant she was going to still adopt Callie. And, um, you know, all the vets kept saying, hey, feed uh, these premium brands of kibble. And Kalinda was not getting any better. And after working with a holistic vet Mm
2: -hmm. who
1: taught Marissa how to cook whole foods, literally within three months, we saw Kalinda starting to run and jump and she lost half her body weight. She didn't need knee surgery and her illness was all cleared up. And it was that moment for us that we realized that as pet owners, we're taught that the food that sits on a shelf is what dogs should be eating. Um, But actually, as we really delved into it, we understood that these are heavily processed foods with low quality ingredients, full of chemicals, you know, that are just heavily processed. And so we started Puppy Gang Fresh Foods to create human grade meals made of whole ingredients, and we use high-quality proteins, fruits, vegetables, and organic supplements, and we deliver currently in Ontario, but in two weeks across Canada, Mm -hmm. um, to direct to our consumers. We're in some retail as well, Um, with the intention that we're really trying to help dog owners to have healthier dogs and living longer as well.
0: So just to – because this is fascinating, right? Like, you know, the the vets didn't believe that – dog could be healthy and what you found out was that uh it was all about the diet the, the the realization the the light bulb moment was that it's just the basics of nutrition and quality ingredients um and less so about these surgeries and supplements but really you know if you are feeding your dog healthy food the dog will be healthy and that that led you to uh to start this company with your co-founder marissa
1: yeah, as a general rule, yes, um, we know as humans, if we ate processed foods such as you know McDonald's every yes. day, we know you know we would be sick, we'd have a bunch of illnesses, our lifespan would be shortened. And the same rule applies for dogs. It's just that we're taught that this is what dogs should eat, but in reality, this just became popular through marketing in the 1950s, um, tricking us all into thinking this is actual dog food. So, mm.
2: um,
1: you know, dogs do need a whole foods diet. Uh, we can talk more but either adding it to existing food or as an entire meal. Natural supplements are awesome, but dogs mm-hmm. definitely shouldn't be eating, you know, chemicals and preservatives and really low, I mean, the car- carbohydrates in the kibble, dogs don't need carbohydrates in their diet. It's just a cheap way to uh, add calories to the food. So lots of issues with, <laughs> <laughs> well, I could spend hours talking about it, but, you know, really dogs will be healthier. You'll see instantaneously change in stool, energy levels, fur quality, and then, you know, vet bills. I, I've got a nine-year-old rescue. Every time I take him to the vet, it's a 300 or $400 vet visit. So I know the sooner, um, if I had gotten him sooner and started him on Whole Foods, we wouldn't have these, these kind of vet bills. So making the change is always important. He's doing great. His health and blood work is excellent. Um, but, you know, we all want our dogs to live as long as they can. They're our family. So, you know, I've definitely switched him over to puppy and fresh <laughs> foods. He's doing awesome.
0: And from from a business perspective, have you always thought about yourself as an entrepreneur? Did you know you can, uh, uh, you know, l- leave uh, corporate world and start this business and really kind of draw, um, you know, draw income from it to the level where you'll be able to support yourself and your family? Talk to me about that. Talk to me about like the first year in business and as you as you launched. Were you both full time or were you splitting sort of, you know, d- d- dipping your toes while still keeping the uh, deep, uh, keeping the job? Talk to me about that transition for yourself.
1: Yeah, I was heavy in corporate. I spent a good 18 years working in corporate. I, w- I moved around globally and worked in different companies um, and, you know, was really in that life. Um, I always wanted to do something and venture out. I always was business-minded and interested in making my own impact and adding value. Um, So when Marissa and I came together and, you know, we saw Kalinda's journey, it made sense for us to start the business. Um, We did it slowly and happy to share some learnings. Um, Please. Yeah, so we've been now doing this for about three and a half years. Mm -hmm. Um, We spent the first year still working full-time. Um, so that we'd have an income. You know, I think the biggest mistake or one of the biggest mistakes we made was underestimating how much it would cost to get started. Um, You know, people that say you can start with five grand, I love that. But for us, I think because we were making a product, you know, we had logistics costs and manufacturing costs and ingredients and like then marketing and websites and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, we really needed to continue working to fund Uh, the startup and um, did that for a year. Um, Mm -hmm. After the first year, we started growing quite significantly and we really needed to focus a bit more onto the business to to sustain the growth and deliver. So um, I left my corporate job and um, started working on Puppy Gang Fresh Foods Mm full-time. I did that for two years. Uh, I did not pay myself for two years. So <laughs> I thought it would be six months' worth of um, buffer and it ended up being two years. So, again, wow. another watch out. And the reason for that, it was a really great reason. We were growing so rapidly. We had 464% growth last year over prior year. But we were growing so rapidly. Obviously, it was costing us as well to be able to keep up with that growth. Right.
0: Because yeah. you need to put money in marketing, you need to purchase more product, you need to mix these high-quality ingredients, uh, and presumably you're you were still making them in, in in small batches. So it wouldn't necessarily be a uh, a facility that that you'd uh, you know uh, move in or, or hire. But really, at least at the beginning, I, I assume you were you were making products in small batches. And how did that come together? Did you have to get a uh, commercial kitchen? Were you were you able to you know strike a deal with the uh, with the manufacturer, a co-packer, talk talk to me about that.
1: Yeah, we <laughs> we definitely um, found a commercial kitchen who would let us come into uh, into their facility in the evenings, and Marissa and I would spend our evenings cooking.
0: Because mm, you had a full time job at that time, both exactly, of you. So you, yeah. So after, after that, you had to drive drive uh, uh, to the facility so you can actually start working on 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 puppy game. Wow.
1: Exactly, yeah. So we'd spend, you know, hours in the kitchen preparing the meals. Um, We did bring on a contract driver, so our own driver at that point in time. Uh, We felt it was just a bit easier to manage. Um, But after about a year and a half, our volumes got too big to be able to keep up with it. And, you know, the, the discussion of working in the business versus on the business. We yeah. decided it was time to move to a manufacturer so that we could really focus on the growth in our customers um, versus actually making the product. So we found a local human-grade uh, kitchen um, that actually makes human food and uh, they started producing our meals for us at that point, about one and a half years in.
0: Mm. And in terms of volume, I mean, in your first year in business, can you share any any numbers around you know the number of meals you shipped or dollars you've earned? I'm just curious, really. I'm just trying to uh, to size it up. And 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 for the context, you know, going back to your earlier earlier um, uh, co- comment about starting a business with a thousand dollars, I made that mistake last night. I went on Twitter and I shouldn't have. I but I went on Twitter and I tweeted something like. You can start a business with zero if it's a software business and you know how to build products and probably about thousand dollars and if you're building an e-commerce brand i made that mistake that comment is public I need, to, I need to i need to i probably need to delete it because now everybody is looking at me and laughing and probably saying you don't, you don't know what you're talking about uh starting a business with thousand dollars good luck with that um but i i I, just, I was naive enough to think that you know it shouldn't be too hard right like you put up a landing page uh, you know, probably Shopify, you know, costs you about 50 bucks a month. Uh, you know, you list a few products and then as sales start rolling in, you can sort of make, make products and sell it. And then, uh, you know, after you collect sales, you can ship it out. And then hopefully the word of mouth gets you through your first hundred sales. Um, and so it shouldn't really be that expensive to start, but I didn't realize how much you actually need to do, uh, uh, leading up to your first sale. Uh, and so it's really nice to, uh, it's really nice to, uh, uh, you know, to talk to you about that, to uh, to actually get an accurate estimate. So I'm curious, you know, in your first year, what were some of the results? And, and was that uh, enough for you to believe in it? Was that enough to, uh, uh, to, to keep you and Marisa uh, invested and involved in this full time?
1: Yeah, our first year was definitely slow. We were, you know, we were a brand that wasn't recognized yet. Um, we, and I would say it's different for people to switch their dog's food compared to their own food. You know, we will go to any restaurant, we'll try any food. If we get a little sick, we're like, oh, well, won't go there again. You know, but people are more hesitant to switch mm. their dog's food. And so it's a longer education piece to really convince people that switching your dog's food to a whole foods diet is going to actually help them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we knew that up front as dog owners ourselves, um, but we really, you know, we hustled. We went to events. We actually launched at Wolfstock. Um, we would go to dog parks and give out samples. We were really just trying to build up brand recognition. So we were very small in our first year. But what really kept us going was that our customers, and, you know, in the first year we, you know, had a very small amount, um, less than 100. But in that first year, those customers loved our food and kept giving us feedback about the impact and changes they were seeing in their dogs. So we knew we were onto something. We knew it was needed. It was for us at that point, understanding how can we be recognized um, as experts in this field and help to educate people. And so we really started at that point, working more on branding ourselves in the right way. We did podcasts and blogs mm. and, you know, did webinars to really try and help educate people and give them, other, you know, if it's not our food, give them other information about how they can feed their dogs whole food because really that's at the core of our values. So we, we kind of really tried to do that in the first year Um, And then after the first year is really where we saw a lot of growth. People started getting comfortable. Word of mouth started happening. We obviously had more money to put into marketing. Um, And so, you know, the way it worked for us is basically everything that came in, we spent back out and more. Um, You know, you start up, we weren't profitable. Um, But what we were trying to do, which was really a cash challenge, was, you know, with ingredients with labelling and packaging we were as much as possible trying to buy in bulk to get lower costs mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but then you know that hurts the cash flow so of course that you know that's a real consideration do you pay a higher price so you spend less cash because you don't want to burn through cash or do you get a lower price overall and and put more cash up front in and so you know we made had to make those decisions along the way sometimes we got it right sometimes we didn't
0: Right, right. No, it makes sense. And I, and I did, you know, one of the questions I obviously wanted to ask you is, you know, when you're bootstrapping, you know, business and you're putting your, you know, your own portion of your own salary into it, probably taking a, um, a small business loan. And I'm, I'm not sure what your own path was like, you know, financially speaking, you know, what tools or resources have you looked into any grants? Have you uh, tapped into any loans or, you know, lines of credit, things of that nature? Any other more creative sources of financing? Maybe some angel investing uh, investments. Have you? What What was your path to uh, you know securing that 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 financing to at least be able to, uh, like you said, purchase you know larger volumes and uh, and uh, invest some in in, a, in advertising and pay the, for the commercial kitchen and still still be able to maintain the websites and and and, and other things. What, what was your own path in uh, in accessing capital?
1: Yeah, so Marissa and I, we did put um, quite a significant amount of money into the business uh, upfront and ongoing as needed. Um, but really what helped us to accelerate was um, getting a loan from the BDC. Nice. Uh, and they were really excellent. They actually gave us uh, two separate loans. So we, we went to them, they gave us uh, one loan. And then uh, I think about nine months later, we went back and said, can we have some more, please? <laughs> um, <laughs> we've used it all. Can we have a little bit more? Um, and they were really great and really supportive uh, in helping us with that. Um, we also used um, Clebank, or which is now Cleco, mm-hmm. um, for marketing dollars, and that was very helpful. And um, we did... Take through our bank a line of credit as well, and mm-hmm. that was that was the last thing that we did. Where we're like, oh, we really need some more money. We need a line of credit.
0: Um, well, what are your What are your thoughts on on uh, uh, VC and angel investors? You know, these days there is a lot of uh, well, you know, relatively speaking, there is a lot of interest in the commerce space from somebody who you know just a few years back would only support you know scalable technology companies. Uh, and today I'm seeing more and more you know investors, whether that's angels or institutional VCS, uh, looking to put money in you know promising brands. Um, and I mean, you did you did get from from my understanding, you did get a, got acquired recently uh, by another company. so that that is an exit that a lot of them would be looking for when putting in you know putting in the dollars. And I think you know three, about three and a half years in business, that's a really good result. That's potentially a venture backable you know, business that can, that can ger- generate shareholder value. Have you considered raising money from, from investors? Have you, have you tried uh, doing that? And, and, and what are your thoughts?
1: Yes, we did, actually. Um, so we were actually part of Founder Institute, mm-hmm. which, um, was a, which still is um, an accelerator for very, very early stage startups. We were a little late stage, but still very helpful. Um, And then through that program, they also offered Founders Fund, which was all about raising money. So we actually started um, back in December on a journey of looking for investors. And that was our intention. We were going to raise money. We were trying to raise $1 million um, Mm -hmm. into the business. We wanted to get angels or early stage VCs. And uh, we ended up with a really great group of investors that uh, had either said uh, that they wanted in or, um, you know, where we felt like they were heading in that direction. We ended up with about six investors that um, yeah. really wanted to invest in the business.
0: And uh, do, you recommend, do you recommend that path for other entrepreneurs in the e-commerce space that are trying to diversify their capital, capital stack and capital sources or... Or is it, is it that you need to get quite a lot of traction uh, before any of these investors will uh, will, 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 will give you money? What, what was your experience?
1: I definitely suggest it. I think we started that process too late in hindsight. Um, even, you know, the, the Founder Institute team kept asking us, hey, do you guys want to raise? And we're like, no, no, we're good. Don't worry. We got this. Um, so we started too late. It was a little bit naive of us not to start that process earlier. Um so I do recommend it. Um, I think for us, you know, with the debt that we had taken on through the loans, we'd kind of maxed that out. And, you know, had we started with the investment earlier, I think that would have been more beneficial for us because the, the thing that we really focused on was um, making sure we find a group of investors that are very aligned to our values and could support us in our growth. We weren't just looking for investors that were going to give us cash and go away. So, you know, that was really important to us. And we ended up with a brilliant group that, that we were chatting to. Um, so I definitely do think that's the right way to go. One of our lessons through that process was um, make it very clear to investors why there is an urgency in your product or service and market. And so, for example, you know, everyone thinks, oh, healthy dog food how cute but no this is like a very very big business a multi-billion dollar um, industry we have seen huge explosion in the US we know Canada will follow whole foods in dog food is the fastest growing uh, space and so you know we were really sharing with investors this is the right get in early because this is going to blow up Mm. Um, and so find what that urgency is in your business Because, you know, they see so many different pitches um, that you really want to get the investors you're talking to excited about it and moving at your time scales
0: as well. Right, right. No, for everybody listening either live or after the fact on the podcast, never too early to uh, put together that pitch deck, start reaching out to uh, potential angel investors or early stage VCs. And, you know, in case of a founder institute or other organizations, you know, I would also emphasize the importance of these uh, communities, or as t- uh, uh, accelerator programs, or d- different different groups that you know tend to support entrepreneurs. You know, in 2022, there are so many places where you can go. And like at Paperstack, for example, we took part in Google Accelerator and Techstars, and I'm not sure if we would have been here. If it wasn't for you know those those great organizations and of course along the way we took part in, in in many more and sometimes they'll offer free office space sometimes they'll offer connections and introductions to customers and investors it makes it easier to hire people because you get more brand awareness speaking of brands you can get published or get pr coverage um, you know through through affiliation so it's definitely worth checking out uh you know different different uh, support ecosystems that that you know particularly uh, your brand can can tap into. Um, I'd love to um, maybe switch gears here and really talk about the impact of COVID uh, on your business. And I know we're going off schedule and completely off of <laughs> the uh, what what we were going to discuss. But I'm just you know I can't help but think you know how how this pandemic has impacted your business. Um, I I you know I'm a proud owner of a cat, uh, and it's really been a pandemic cat. I you know in some 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 time. Uh, you know, in the lockdown, you just realize how lonely it could be to be working from home and be by yourself. Um, and so I've noticed a lot of people, including myself, started adopting, you know, cats and dogs and other, other animals. Um, and it's been a huge, huge, I mean, I've never seen so many pets on the streets, you know, after work going for a walk and everybody's walking their dogs. And I don't think I've seen that before. So I'm assuming the pandemic was good for you from like a sales perspective. But I don't mean to underestimate the complexities and, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, probably supply chain disruptions and, you know, uh, access to, to funding and capital during the pandemic. Can you talk to us about your experience navigating this business during the pandemic and how did that impact impact your business?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was definitely an interesting time we saw over the last two years. Um, You know, the pandemic puppies, as it was as it was called, we saw uh, households across Canada going from 30 percent dog ownership to 50 percent. So basically every second household in Canada now owns a dog, which was great for us. We also found that people were working from home more and they had more time to research. And so we started seeing a lot more interest and in inquiries about whole foods. What should I feed my dog? My vets told me this, is that correct? And so there was just a general um, increase of interest in asking questions about whole food and starting to really you know, spend the time reading the blogs, seeing our posts, getting that education, and then coming back with questions. So that was, you know, really helpful uh, for us. And as I mentioned, we saw, you know, 464% growth in uh, 2021.
0: Which 464% growth in yeah. just one year. That is crazy. Good yeah. for you.
1: Yeah, through the pandemic, you know, the, the stores, unfortunately, were shut. Um, it was, you know, we were trying to get into retail, obviously not great timing. Mm-hmm. Um, but we offered uh, free delivery across all of Ontario, and we still do. And so that was a very convenient option for people through, through that time. Um, but, yes, we did have, <laughs> we had Thank delivery you. challenges, we had some logistic challenges, um, it, costs of ingredients and packaging all went up. Um, you know, we chose, we made the decision we were going to keep our meals at the same cost. We did not pass those costs on. We decided to take that hit because for us, we knew it would be a point in time. We really wanted to stay strong to our values, that we want as many dogs eating whole foods and we didn't want to make it unaffordable for consumers to do that. So, you know, we took, we took some punches as well on that. Um, you know, we had, as I mentioned, a delivery person who was, you know, working through some of COVID but then went and found a job and it was obviously difficult to hire at that point. So we, de- we had some of those uh, little hiccups through that period as well.
0: I mean, I just have so many questions. You know, four hundred twenty—sorry, uh, four hundred sixty-four percent increase <laughs> in sales um, sounds like you need a bigger commercial kitchen at that point. Or were you able to uh, to you know negotiate a bigger a bigger uh, uh, a bigger space uh, or or greater access? How how did you uh, how did you uh, go about expanding your production capabilities in the middle of the pandemic?
1: Yeah, so at that point, we had seen the growth coming. So we had already planned to outsource the manufacturing to that human grade team I mentioned. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we were set up, they had extra capacity. Uh, We spoke to them about growth. And you know, they were fantastic. They helped us also doing the co packing, um, getting the boxes ready for our delivery company. And they were really supportive of our growth and, um, and helping us out where needed. So they were able to expand with us as we expanded, which was great. Yeah. We didn't actually have, that was the one area we really didn't have any issues with as far as producing the product. Yeah.
0: (laughs) That's amazing. That's fantastic. Um, I had some founders on the, uh, on the show earlier this year and they, they did, you know, when it comes to making that decision of, you know, uh, outsourcing to a co-packer versus keeping it in house um i will be very honest with you half of my half of my guests on the show choose to go with the co-packer because just how convenient it is to uh let somebody else do the the production and, and and maintenance and uh uh you know and then you would just you know find these great ingredients and make sure that the quality stays the same and then the other half of my uh of my guests you know were very very vocal, vocal against uh you know hiring a a co-packer and you know th- went on to great length to, you know, create their own, you know, facility where they would maintain every step of the way of that production, because it was just so important for them to maintain the quality and consistency, um, and so I'm, I'm genuinely curious. I mean, I know what your answer would be because you did end up going with the co-packer, but maybe for other people listening and they're trying to make that hard decision of whether to keep production in the house and, you know, you know um, uh, maybe rent a warehouse somewhere or a production facility somewhere versus, you know, turning into a co-packer. Um, what, what are some of the considerations and how did you find that, you know, great, you know, partner? Uh, that you knew you could trust and you, you knew, you know, could take your, help take your business uh, to the next level?
1: Yeah, similar to w- actually what we did with the investors, we were very particular about finding the right partners. Um, we met with a lot of uh, manufacturers that we didn't feel like were aligned to our values, and we stayed strong in not doing that. We didn't make a cost-based decision um, just to go with a partner because they were going to be so cheap. We really wanted to find a partner that cared about the quality of our food as much as we did, and we did find that. So, you know, they invited us into their facility. We cooked with them. We went through, you know, who they're ordering from, making sure it was up to our standards of, you know, the quality of ingredients, Um, and they, you know, have a QA team that monitors everything. We get the reports. So we were able to do that. We tested the food. Um, and made sure it was all up to our standards. And, you know, if something ever happened as it does just naturally, um, they were always able to fix it and, uh, and willing to work with us on that. I would say that, you know, you get to a point for us where um, we could not, we weren't at the point in our business to go and buy our own facility and hire our own team. Um, and so we really had to take that decision one to let the experts do it. You know, we're not expert cooks as far as getting the processes right and doing it in the most efficient way. Um, so that we could really focus in on the business. So I think finding the right partner is key. I think where we did have some struggles, um, and just so everyone knows our product is frozen. So we have like a different layer of logistic challenges. Um, But where we did find struggles was really getting into a frozen warehouse that could store our food and then do the actual boxing and getting it ready, you know, for the orders. And so that actually was a a big pain point for us in finding the right partner in that area. If we didn't have a frozen product and it was, you know, something that could sit in our own (laughs) apartments, we probably would have done that component a bit longer um, rather than outsourcing that. But we really didn't have the freezer space for the um, volumes that were going on.
0: Makes sense, makes sense. <clears throat> Sorry, you know, I, uh, um, now that we're sort of like, uh, uh, you know, um, at halftime, I, I want to start and I want to I, uh, 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 ask you more tactical questions, right? So a lot of our viewers, um, they're either in the early stages of starting their own business or maybe even operating today. And, you know, they're curious about things like marketing. Um, things like uh, logistics things like shipping and uh, um, you know storage and outsourcing and just so you know for co-founder dynamics things of that nature um, and so if you, if you don't mind you know I I, I want to go a little bit deeper into some of the areas and you know feel free to share as much as as, as you're comfortable sharing I, I, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, hold you uh, to, to it but you know one of the questions that we get a lot is what's the best way to acquire customers and I, I understand that it's a uh, it really depends on the product and it really depends on the, you know, demographic and, you know, uh, stage you're at. Um, do you feel like uh, paid advertising is for the most part, the only way to drive revenue these days, or have you seen, and I'm referring to a D2C, right? So we'll, we'll, we'll touch based on the retail and, and distribution uh, in, in, in the future question, but I'm curious to hear, you know, for your direct to consumer brand, um is it mostly coming through paid advertising have you had success with you know influencer marketing uh or social media content or any other channels what, what what's your advice on uh, you know finding the right uh customer acquisition channels for your d2c brand
1: yes as i mentioned for the first year we really hustled we hit the, the pavement <laughs> we went to all the pet expos we had booths uh we'd give out free food at dog parks uh, we, we, you know, we'd sponsor dog type events and, and, you know, talk about whole foods and, and let people taste the food. Um, we really tried to do that. And as part of that, we were aiming to build up our email lists.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so at that point we weren't even taking product to sell. We weren't going to the expos and trying to sell product. We were literally just handing out free samples and asking people to write their email down.
0: Mm, a sample in exchange for an email. Interesting.
1: Yeah. Um, so you know we did that, and that was a really effective way to to build up our first couple of hundred uh, email subscribers. And we felt like email was a really effective way to share information, uh, educate consumers, and then you know build that trust to get um, them trying the food. And that that really helped. But I would say that once we had those emails. Once we had started communicating with customers, they've now, you know, been to the same type of dog events. They've seen our branding a little bit. We did really use paid advertising to support all of that because now we could retarget through Google and Facebook uh, the customers that are interested. We now have profiles of the types of customers that, you know, are interested in this. Um, And so that helped. We worked initially with um, an agency. Mm -hmm who was really great in just helping us get started and kicking things off for us. Um, and so we used a combination of different things. We also did some PR. We, uh, we worked with a PR person. We did two morning live morning TV interviews. Uh, we took Marissa's dog, Callie, that I mentioned earlier on TV. We had the host try the food with us because it's human grade. <laughs> we actually ate dog food on air. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, we, we did a little bit of everything. Um, definitely Google has been good for us. Facebook, I think most people are feeling the pinch on it. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Still do use Facebook ads, uh, but not as effective as uh, Google and email as well. Um, the other thing I think we did too late in our business as far as acquiring customers was introducing a loyalty program.
2: Mm.
1: So, where we offer both subscriptions and one-off purchases to our customers and it was really only about a year ago that we introduced a loyalty program where they get points for each uh, purchase, points for referring another customer and so on. I think in hindsight we should have done that a lot earlier and encouraged the referrals. And so every now and then, for example, we do double points on a referral so that you know, people are getting extra points and they're referring people. So I think there's a number of different things. We try everything. <laughs> um, we've also tried some things that didn't work. Um, you know, we, we did some elevator advertising, which didn't work for us. Um, we did some mail drops. Um, <laughs> Marissa and I, you know, went door to door and putting our brochures in, uh, in letterboxes, things like that. So I think at that you know early stage you try everything. Um, but definitely the email lists and then the retargeting has has been the main two things for us.
0: I, I just love the hustle of show, you know showing up at a doorstep or eating dog food on live TV. I don't think <laughs> you know we I don't think we talk enough about about you know that side of entrepreneurship. But it does sound like fun uh, and lots of memorable memorable moments. You you did mention uh, um, a uh, a subscription, and I'm you know I can't help but think that your business is such a perfect. Business to launch a subscription, right? So because once you have that customer, um, presumably every so often they would want another, you know, batch of product to keep their dog uh, uh, eating healthy Um, and. Those types of businesses usually command much higher valuation premiums. So you know, if you have a subscription, you can raise at a higher you know valuation premium from investors. You're you know, if you're uh, selling a business, you know, you can uh, exit a business at a higher higher multiple to revenue because there is a recurring component to it. But it's also just uh, easier, I guess, to manage a business when you know you don't need to acquire customers all the time. But in the, in a in a sense. You could acquire them once and then allow them to reorder from you again and again and again. Um, is is recurring subscription a, a, a sizable chunk of your business? Do you and and, and what were the uh, the learnings of you know uh, actually launching a, pro, a a a capability like that? Were you from day one based on subscriptions, or is that something you uh, introduced over time as you saw more people coming back?
1: We did it um, not from the beginning. Very, We did it very early. Uh, actually, it was uh, the Founder Institute uh, mm. who had a series of mentors as part of that program. And um, I remember one of the mentors saying, why aren't you guys doing subscription? <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, oh, <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> we
0: didn't um, know that was an option. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and so um, definitely from a cash flow perspective, subscriptions are awesome highly suggest you do it if you can in your business um but also it's easier for the customer they don't run out of food you know the worst scenario is you run out of food for your dog um, and don't know what to feed your dog so they can set it up they know when they're getting it but we also reward our customers for subscribing and also for the volume they're ordering so the more you order on subscription higher volume The lower the cost per pack is and so we found that a really great way to make it um, even more affordable for consumers to feed their dog whole foods Um, but really great for us as a business to know what's coming through each month Um, and we did a lot of education on it you know our email flows were set up with subscription we're all a bit hesitant to subscribe uh, and we really spent a lot of time educating people that they can subscribe, they can pause, they can, you know, skip, they can change, they can cancel. They're not locked in forever. So, you know, it's just a more convenient way for them to to uh, order food.
0: I've experienced that firsthand because when we were traveling uh, abroad for, for one of the accelerators, we did subscribe to a, 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 a meal kit subscription. And it was so easy because it would just show up at your doorstep every Monday it was there. You know fixed number of boxes so you mm-hmm. always knew that you know you're getting food and you you know it really did save time and mental you know energy on thinking you know what to buy when to buy you know do i have enough in my fridge what you know how do how am i going to cook it and am i running up you know cooking oil and and just it, it, the subscription really made sense um so i was happy you know happy i was happy to use that uh and so you know i can speak to that um, I'm curious, uh, uh, Sarah, when it comes to retail distribution. So, you know, we spoke with, about direct to consumer and customer acquisition, but when it comes to retail distribution, it is a B2B sales process in a way, right? Because you need to pre- prepare a proposal or, 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 a, or a deck, you need to reach out to a decision maker. They need to evaluate your company on a variety of levels. And then once you're in the store. You need to make sure you can keep up with, you know, with the volume and quality standards, and and make sure that your product also stands out uh, in a, you know, crowded shelf um, uh, against other competitors. Can you talk to me about your experience when it comes to distribution, whether that's retail or wholesale? How did you get into it? What was your first uh, first uh, distribution partnership like? And, and and how are you approaching these things today?
1: Yeah, we found actually retail a lot harder than we thought it was going to be. Um, we we always wanted to work with more premium pet stores as our priority, um, not the larger stores that you know kind of have a bit of everything and you don't have that personalized touch. So um, again, we hustled. We gave samples out to retail stores. We picked up the phone. We went and visited the stores. Um, and with these things, you have to follow up over and over again because everyone's busy. So I would say don't be shy to continue to call and, you know, email and ask, ask if they're interested. Um, but, yeah, we initially, before COVID, got into a couple of retail stores, premium pet stores. Um, and then through COVID, we made a national partnership agreement with a, a premium pet food chain, pet uh, store chain. Um, And so we have been working with that national pet store to really get into now their individual stores across the country. (laughs) Um, In two weeks, we'll be expanding across all of Canada. So we're starting to now work into the other provinces. Um, But, yeah, it's definitely time-consuming but really worth it because customers can try a single pack without ordering a minimum quantity. Um, We also spent quite a bit of time educating the stores about our food how it's different to our competitors we definitely you know put together a little document that talks about the quality of our food why we're different and you know explains what whole foods are so i think you you really need to think about the education we've also done pop-up events at each retail store so we're also trying to help the retail store uh, drive new business to them as well Um, But I would say you want to be in a position where your cost of goods are at a point where, you know, you can give up a certain percentage to the retailer because the retailer is going to generally want to take about 30 percent margin there. So you want to make sure your cogs can can take that um, when you're going into retail. Otherwise, if you're making too much of a loss, it's cash
0: burden if you don't have that cash. Got it. Got it. So today you are. Reaching that nationwide distribution in Canada through a, uh, um, a re- retail distributor, a, a, re- re- um, a premium pet pet brand, um, and I guess I'm curious if you're seeing more business now at this point coming from those retail, or is it still direct to consumer? I guess the other way to phrase that question, or what the reason why I'm asking, is you know I you know we had guests on the show that. Would only do direct to consumer because you know that's that's their comfort level. That's what they wanted. They really wanted to uh, uh, you know be able to reach the consumer, and uh, they you know they didn't think that they at least at, the, at that stage needed retail distribution. And then we have other guests on the show that very quickly realized how disproportionately bigger chunk of their business was coming from retail and wholesale and they sort of you know kept their website but w- were diverting more of their attention you know in that direction what is your strategy you know with, with puppy gang and when when you were still you know say you know a, a few months ago uh, how are you thinking about uh you know the the strategy around uh, you know where to focus your own resources and which channels you uh, you were you were going to prioritize
1: Yeah, I think it depends what industry you're in. As I mentioned, getting someone to change their pet's food is a bigger buying decision than trying another product. And so for us, we really needed the brand recognition before going into retail because we felt like if we just went out to retail first up without that brand recognition, people don't have that trust in the brand yet to go and try that food. And so we we took the strategy to build up that brand recognition, uh, become experts and trusted in our our brand and food, and then go to retail. And COVID slowed us down. I mean, Mm. had it not been for COVID, we would have gone into retail a lot quicker. Um, That slowed us down. It didn't make sense during COVID to go into retail. So it's really been this year that we've started the retail strategy back up. Um, We do want to stick to the premium uh, retailers and, you know, our overall values and goal has always been let's get as many dogs as possible eating whole foods because we want them to be healthy and living longer. And so we've done a number of things. We have partnered with restaurants uh, who serve our menu on their patio so people can dine with their dogs and order food for Mm. their dogs Um, We're on Uber Eats in Toronto and Waterloo. And, again, it's as many channels as we can so people have the option to be able to to purchase Whole Foods for their dogs. So, yeah, we've tried, you know, some different stuff. But retail is important. It currently makes up only about 10% um, of our sales, so still very, very small. Um, But also with the company that's just acquired us, which I'd love to tell you that story of how that happened. I'd love Um, to hear that yeah it's a funny story but um with with that company's support um you know we're going to be more aggressive on retail with their network to uh to get into more of those premium stores
0: i before we d- dive into the acquisition and the you know how how it all uh, came together i'd love to ask about you know co-founder dynamics and you know i I come from some a uh, paper stack. I, I have a you know a co-founder. Her name is Asselle. She you know, she's wonderful, and she she's focusing on, you know, marketing and sales and you know, all the external fun stuff. And I'm basically behind the scenes, the numbers, <laughs> the uh, the technology, and it worked really well for us. It, it still does, um, because we you know we we can delegate to each other, we can, you know, we trust each other and, and it, it really helped us um, grow our business without stepping too much on each other's toes. Um, how do you find it is to be working with Marisa and do you split responsibilities at all between, between the two of you or are you, are you kind of like in, in everything together? Um, curious to, to hear your thoughts.
1: Yeah, I think because the way we started, we were both still working full time and we were, you know, managing puppy gang, we both did a little bit of everything. Um, and that was important for us. I would say to know all parts of the business really well, um, I could not have done this without a co-founder. I don't think Marissa. I think Marissa would say the same, it, you know, it would have been very difficult trying to do this solo, uh, hats off to, to those founders that are on their own um, because, you know, there's always something to do and things come up that you just don't know how to deal with and being able to talk to someone about it has been really helpful. Um, Marissa and I were friends before starting the business. Mm -hmm. We actually met, we were both living in Hong Kong and then uh, both found ourselves here in in Toronto. Um, And we agreed up front before we started the business that we would be very direct with each other and have very honest discussions and not be offended by it. Because, you know, when you're running a business and making decisions, you sometimes just say it as it is. And, you know, we agreed. We both know <laughs> we trust and respect each other. And so let's just be direct and, and say things as they are and get on with, with the job. So um, it was important for us to set, kind of set those, those guidelines for us. Um, but it's been great. You know, we, now that we're both full-time into the business, we still work across most areas. Uh, we do say, hey, can you take this? And I'll take this. Um, but we, we often cross over into different areas, but that works for us at the moment as well.
0: And from the education perspective, I mean, you know, it's there's so much to learn, you know, especially not being in the space your entire life. But, you know, you mentioned both of you came from corporate and, uh, you know, where you presumably have teams and you have processes and you have, you know, uh, a little bit more clarity into your day to day versus, you know, in the uh, you know launching your own brand like selling you know dog food and you know you have to manage you know ingredients and supplies you have to source it you have to make sure it's you know high quality and you you know you have to pay for it so you need capital uh you know then you need to prepare it package it market it sell it um uh, you know retail distributions there's so so much just for the two of you, and I know you have agencies, and I, I know you work with somebody on the marketing side, and you know somebody else. You know, you, you mentioned you hired a few people along the way, um, but how did you approach learning all these new things? Things that are not necessarily something you, you know, you you take in business school or 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 even aware of. I mean, you, you, when I order something, it just arrives at my doorstep. But there's <laughs> so much complexity that goes into it, and I'm just I I, I just would love to understand you know, what was the learning process like for you and Marisa? And and and, and what was the hardest thing about starting, starting this business?
1: Uh, we made so many mistakes of, you know, costing ourselves more money than something needed to because we just didn't know a better way to do it. Um, you know, or working with partners that in the end weren't great for us and having to find a new partner. Um, I would say that on reflection one thing that we did really well was we asked for a lot of help you know we even from first buying our you know initial set of ingredients we went to the you know wholesale markets and basically went into one of the stores and, and found the general manager and said we're just getting started we don't even know how this works could you like have a chat with us and share with us what should we be aware of so we asked a lot of people, to give us free advice. (laughs) And I think what you'll be surprised is people will help you. Um, We met with other business owners that had started different businesses, gave us really great ideas. I mean, one idea we got from another business owner that shared with us that was working was the spin the wheel on our website to get emails. Um, You know, so things like that. People are very willing to share if you ask. I think the key for us was reaching out. And just asking for the help and asking for advice um, and not being ashamed to say hey i don't know how to do this um i think you know had enough business acumen from my corporate world to know what kind of questions to ask uh to see that you know to recognize an issue was there so i did bring in a lot of that from my my background um marissa was very strong on the nutrition side and so I was able to really bring that in to the business. So we had very complementary skill sets that supported us making you know better decisions as we went along.
0: Did you ever regret starting this particular business? And have you run into the moments where, you know, that things were not working out? And maybe you had second thoughts about going back to the corporate or or you know getting another job, or maybe even starting a different type of business was there ever ever a case where you know you 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 weren't sure if you're gonna you're gonna uh, uh, be able to make it
1: not for a second I think for us like we get so much joy when our customers call us and tell us how amazing their dog is doing and the recovery they've had from illnesses and the changes they've seen that 100% drives us and I think that if you're starting a business to make a lot of money (laughs) that's probably (laughs) not going to help your motivation you really have to have a passion for what you're doing because there are definitely tough moments definitely lost lots of uh sleep um through stress but you know we always were very focused we knew we wanted to do this we knew we were going to change the dog food industry and we were going to reverse all of the you know illnesses and Issues that have been caused from commercial pet food.
0: No, that that's amazing. My last question really is uh, about the acquisition. And I know I saw I saw that post on LinkedIn. You've you've been acquired by Ethi, uh, which you know sounds like they're also Canada's you know sustainable food producer. Um, maybe not exclusively focused on, on on dog food, although I'd love to hear you know what they what they do and and what, why do you think they're a good you know good partner to you and. But, you know, more importantly, how did that all happen? And you mentioned there is a story of how you've met and how it all started. I would love to hear that.
1: Yeah. Well, as I mentioned, we had set out to get investors and, and bring in a million, raise a million and, um, you know, carry on. And the one thing that we got from the Founders Fund program that we did um, was reach out to all the mentors they had introduced us to. Reach out to anyone on your LinkedIn network, ask for other introductions, just do whatever you can to get calls and start chatting to people. And so as part of that, um, I had found Nick Spina, who is the CEO of the FA Group, um, which includes Live Fit Foods, and reached out to him and said, hey, I saw you guys have done a big raise. Would love to learn how you did that. Would you be willing to jump on a call? And he did, and um, you know, we started chatting. We realized there were lots of synergies in our business and that we could really partner together and bring those synergies to life. So it kind of happened accidentally. Um, over time, we wanted to really work together. Um, Nick was acquiring companies to build a consumer household goods uh, brand. And they already are Canada's largest pre-cooked home delivery meals for for humans. So it made sense for us to be able to work with their team. They're 100% sustainable. They have zero food waste. They tied very much to our values, high-quality ingredients. And so we decided that we'd come together and... um, yeah, and join the EFA group. And uh, as I mentioned, they're helping us in two weeks to expand across all of Canada. Uh, we'll be uh, making our food at their um, facility, which is in London, Ontario. And we're just excited that, you know, we're also supporting the environment. Um, they want to change the food industry. We want to change the pet food industry. So our values are, have all been really aligned and it came together so nicely. We You know, we really appreciated it. The team's been awesome and uh you know sometimes life takes you in an unexpected way but this has been really great for us we're so happy
0: and presumably those investors that that have invested not that long ago um we're also happy with the outcome i mean you you returned some of that some of their investments back to them and 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 you know they they presumably made um uh return on their investment um what, well, yeah. what was the Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, we actually paused the investors. So as we were coming towards closing on those investors, this popped up and, you know, we really decided let's pick one way or another. Mm
2: -hmm. We went with the
1: acquisition. Um, But we're still talking to those investors because now we have an even more exciting story um, for them to participate into the, you know, the wider group. And um, I think that will turn out really great for the investors and for us as well where you know it's fully sustainable zero waste and it's really still making an impact for dogs and humans and and overall
0: health Mm -hmm. a lesson to investors you should move a bit quicker if you if you want to get in and then you know get that great return because sometimes these deals just move too quickly um how did you know how to negotiate or or navigate merger i mean you know, when 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 an acquisition comes up in my mind, it's lots of lawyers and lots of discussions, and you know, really, it's you, you never really know if the thing is gonna go through until until everything kind of settles and you know the money hits the bank. But I'm curious how you how you navigated the negotiation and the whole process, and was that a lot of time commitment on your end and you know taking uh, taking focus you know, quite possibly away from, from the day-to-day operations. What, what, what was your experience like?
1: We just worked extra hours, as all good founders do. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you know, we've, we worked with Nick very closely, the CEO of FA, and we found him to be such an open um, and transparent person, which is why we only ever considered um, coming into the group. Had we not had that feeling of values being aligned and strong communication and transparency, uh, we would not have joined. And we were very clear on that. Um, so, actually, the negotiations, you know, we had agreed between Marissa, Nick, and I on the direction of what we wanted, um, what we were agreeing to. And then we basically passed it to the lawyers and said, This is what we've agreed to. Um, now just write it out. I had a bit of. Um, m experience from my corporate world, um, which was really helpful. Um, also had a lot of friends that I called in, you know, in finance and was like, hey, this, we're talking about this. Do you think this is okay? So, again, leverage your network, ask for help, um, but definitely need some good lawyers and pragmatic lawyers. You know, as a startup, you don't want a huge uh, legal bill. You want to know that your lawyers are very pragmatic. They're focusing on the important stuff. everything else. Don't nickel and dime
0: it, you know. I mean, Sarah, you know, it sounds like you know this has been really a success story for you and and Marisa and and this company, and you know, leaving a corporate world, and you know, three and a half years later, you know, get you know, growing to the point where you know, you, 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 you got your business acquired and what what a journey, what a success. And I'm curious what's next for you and Marisa. I mean, you know, I know you'll be joining a larger team and, you know, hopefully, you know, get into more resources, but, you know, kind of like the other consideration is, you know, how, how much time do you actually still want to, want to spend on, you know, building something like that versus maybe, you know, making up for some of the lost time with friends and family and, you know, taking that vacation you haven't taken in three years and, you know, maybe paying yourself a little bit more now that, you know, uh, it's a uh, it's, it's, you know, bigger, bigger entity. Um, how will this change, uh, you know, the way you are as an entrepreneur, the way you are as a person? Um, what I'm trying to ask is what, what's next for you and Marisa?
1: Yeah, we're, you know, we were very clear and, you know, Nick had asked us to stay on in, and continue running Puppy Gang Fresh Foods. Uh, which was a great compliment to be asked to do that. We're so passionate about it. We don't feel like we have achieved everything we want to for the company and for dogs across uh, Canada. There's a lot more in our plans of what we're going to build with Puppy Gang Fresh Food. So the foot is not off the accelerator. We've still got a long way to go and uh, we're going to keep hustling and keep pushing. The team have been great. They're letting us, you know, do what we need to do and supporting us with that but it means we can you know expand our product lines and and move a little quicker in our growth plans and so yeah we'll just hold off on that holiday a little bit longer but um it's exciting for us you know it's very motivating we we absolutely love it and uh, we want to keep doing more and really change the pet food industry
0: Sarah, thank you so, so much. I, I have learned a lot and uh, you can uh, totally invoice me for this <laughs> time because it's just been such a selfish education. But I also know quite a lot of people out there um, will benefit from, from learning about your journey. And congrats on everything that happened and continued success to you and Ethi and the uh, yeah, uh, Puppy Gang brand.
1: Thank you so much.